Welcome to Mornings with Michelle. I'm Michelle Foster and delighted that you chose to join me on my podcast today. We are inspiring dreams and I am so gifted to have the amazing friends and relationships that I have join me on these podcasts because my ultimate goal is to open your minds to the possibility and inspire your dreams for your life to fulfill everything that you want to have an extraordinary life. So welcome again. My name is Michelle Foster and you are with us today at Mornings with Michelle. Well, welcome to Mornings with Michelle. I'm Michelle Foster and delighted that you chose to join me on my podcast today. Today we are featuring, interviewing, and learning more about Mike Caluzzi, Michael Caluzzi. He's an extraordinary man and I'm so anxious to learn about his journey because this man has depth. This man is super successful, super energized, but he's got a heart of gold. And so I would like to just start by introducing what I know of Mike and then deeping or diving deeper into what Mike knows about Mike. So Mike started working at about 15 years old in his father's construction business. By the time he was 18 years old, he was running projects for him. The experience was an excellent training ground and a way to finance his education. In 1992, he graduated from college and got his first job as a staff accountant. In 1994, he went to law school and shifted to night school to begin working full-time in that law firm. This guy's a go-getter. I earned, he earned his law degree in 1998 and ensued 20-plus years working as an attorney, also working in corporate sales as a representative. He's a business owner, a real estate invent, uh, investor, professional network marketer, and a business advisor. That's a lot. So help me welcome Mike to the platform. Mike, good morning. Hi, Michelle. Thank you. I, I appreciate the, uh, the very, you know, the great intro. So thank well, you. I, and I appreciate having, you having me. I, you have great energy. I love it. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to have you. And uh, what a bio. So what I want to do is I know that we talked about Mike, Michael from 15 forward. What I want to do is I want to go back to Mike at five years old. So if I can ask you, when, first of all, what did they call you at five? Were you Mike, Mikey, Michael? Who were you? I was always Mikey. I'm still Mikey. Mikey to, I love it. to all my, my uh, wonderful wonderful Italian family from South Philly. I'm Mikey and always will be. I love it. Okay, Mikey. So <laughs> talk to me about five years old. What were your dreams? What were the things that you thought about at that age? Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. When I was five, I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, wow. which if you're not for what that is, that's very, it came up in the news, obviously through COVID. Right. Um, and it was something that uh, I was probably one of the very few cases at the time. We're going back 1975 of a child having Guillain-Barre syndrome. And for the longest time, they had no idea what it was. So um, when I was five, I was uh, basically in a hospital and trying to figure out how to, you know, number one, survive. Number two, you know, I had to learn how to do everything all over again because I was paralyzed from my toes up to my neck. Wow. I am very familiar with that disease. And I, wow. 
keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, so now it's okay. So what's interesting is, and I, you know, why I share that is number one, you know, uh, I, I never really thought much about it after it happened because, you know, as you're going these through these things, number one, I was five, I was an absolute child, you know, what my parents endured and my family's probably on many levels far worse than I had to endure, but there are memories and there's things that are totally embedded in my brain from that period of time um, that you just simply just don't forget. So here we are now, uh, you know, 40, what? 47 years later, you know, I'm 52 in July. So, um, so that point is, is so in, uh, at that stage, um, just to kind of fast forward and not get too deep in the weeds, but ultimately when I was diagnosed with this, like I said, they didn't know what the heck was going on. So ultimately we, my, uh, my, my, we had a family member who connected us with a child neurologist who was based at a new New York, um, who, uh, literally came to my house because I was, you know, at this date, they didn't really know what was going to happen. And the local uh, medical community was just really stumped. So he came in and um, I mean, as the story is told to me, may not be entirely uh, accurate, every part of it, but as your story has been relayed to me through the years, um, um, he came in and within minutes, he had diagnosed what I had. And they put me in the children's hospital and I spent uh, several weeks there and had to go through the process of the virus. So again, you know, going back all these years, the treatment was uh, far different than where it was now. So I had to go through the process. So, you know, the spinal taps and the ventilator and all this crazy stuff. So, and, but eventually, um, you know, after a few weeks, I started to get, you know, recover. And then ultimately I was allowed to go home. And at that time I had to, yeah, relearn to walk, relearn to use my muscles. There was a tremendous amount of residual pain. And because if you know about Guillain-Barre, it basically erodes your nerve endings. Yes, it does. A virus Our, that erodes your nerve uh -huh. endings, right. So um, anyway, so I was very fortunate at the time wherein, uh, you know, if you remember 1975, it was a great time for music. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. So I was very lucky to, uh, you know, there was few people who were kind of allowed near me at that time, because remember, five year old kid really, you know, going through a lot. But one was my uncle, who I love dearly. He's like my older brother at this point. But he was, you know, a teenager in 1975. And he was one of about three people who were ever even allowed near me because I was just really, you know, unfortunately, not in the best frame of mind, as you can imagine. So, um, so he would, over the summer of 1975, you know, he was, he was living at our house and he, every day would come to my, you know, every day he would, we would go down, we lived in a bi-level, you know, throw on the latest and greatest album and then start the process. And, you know, and that- What was, do you mean by start my, the process? My, Be very- oh, rehab, re rehab. I had to re rehabilitate my body to learn how to walk again, to use my muscles. Right and and go through that process of uh, of um, of recovery. So what fueled that recovery was um, that mu you know the music. And as you know, I think to me, music is probably the, the most amazing universal healer there is in the world. I agree with that. And, yes. And um and as you can probably see from the albums behind me, some of them are from 1975. So from that point, I really developed an absolute love and passion for music 
And there was probably some, you know, maybe genetic uh, programming there. Some family members really love music, um, but that really got embedded into my brain at a super really early age. And um, I love music. I mean, you know, again, think of 1975 and all the great artists that were, um, you know, yes. just yes. walking, like they were the gods walking the earth in our minds, right? So that was, um, that was kind of how I lived my life at five years old. And uh, so... I was very lucky in a sense because most five-year-old kids aren't walking into record stores and buying Elton John and David Bowie and Emerson Lake and Palmer records, but I was, <laughs> which is cool. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. And that love just translated. And then I became a drummer and then, you know, I would, you know, I would like most kids, you know, whether you're playing air guitar or in my case, I would, you know, I, I was just one of the tappers. I was a tapper still am I, you know and then by the time I was nine I got a set of drums and then I've been a drummer and player ever since and just a total wow. music lover wow yeah. oh my gosh that's fabulous and you know they do talk about I know a lot of young people today um they listen to 70s and 80s and they call it real music mm -hmm. I find that a fascinating uh comment that I hear a lot from younger folks uh, it's yeah. real music. Those were the years. So, wow. So let me ask you this, Mike. So it, through this process, which, you know, the good, the bad, and now the great, uh, who really stands out in your mind? You mentioned your uncle. Love for you to give him a name. Um, uncle who? Well, Michael John. Uncle John. John so, Zagarella. He's a great guy. He's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's actually a priest. Uh, he's um he's at the Dalesford Abbey uh, no well he lives at the Dalesford Abbey and and um oh gosh drawing a blank on where he lives but anyway the Dalesford Abbey and then he's actually a guidance counselor at Archmere Academy down in Delaware sounds like an extraordinary man well to Uncle John um, is. hats off to him so I really want to ask you who who do you feel really supported you at the, it seems like a lot of people came to you uh, medically, emotionally, financially, but what, what one person, and, and maybe it is Uncle John, who's that one person that you can really attribute to your growing years? Who was really that support system for you? Well, um, I have a few, but yeah, he was definitely oh, at, at the top of the, well, he was the top of the list, honestly. I mean, he, and we're still very, very close and, you know, there's a bond that you just never break. And, um, and then of course, you know, I, I was the youngest of, of uh, three um, and um, my, uh, again, very tight, close Italian family. So I don't, you know, it's, uh, you know, for those of us who are listening, who are Italians and from the inner cities, you kind of get what that means. So that was, a, we, we, we lived in, um, you know, in a really interesting time because, you know, my aunt lived across the street, my uncle lived around the corner, my other aunt and uncle lived around, up the street. So that was an extremely, extremely tight, um, you know, bond, which was great. Um, and, uh, and that allowed a very uh, guarded and insulated existence, which uh, was wonderful. And I think what I've learned from that is just to be a really caring and loving and empathetic person and lead with your, your heart. Now, of course, when you get out into the, into the outside world, I don't want to say the real world because is, that is a real world. It's just sure. different from the business world. So that was something that I did have to, uh, uh, I did have to understand that there's a huge difference. And that took me a long time to understand, uh, to create 
uh, a different mindset because so much of my formative years uh, was built upon just caring and loving on people and and helping them, whatever it took, it didn't matter. You get to call at three o'clock, you know, you're there. It, so, I mean, I know it sounds, you know, um, maybe a little trite, but it's really not. I mean, that's the way- I don't way think it our, sounds trite at all. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's our, that was our, that is and was and still is our life. I mean, and I was very lucky that, you know, I, um, you know, I met my wife, Desiree. We were, I met Desiree March 31st, 1986. So I was 15, she was 14. Wow. So we, 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 we connected at a very early age because of there were so many similarities with respect to our family and our families, you know, to this day, I mean, we just have one big family, family. right? Which is great. Um, it's a wonderful thing. You know, we're, we're very, very grateful for that. Uh, you know, um, and we've had more stories and experiences than we can count and I'm very, very, very grateful. So for this extent to the people who were the influential people, yeah, my uncle was huge. Obviously I had a, I had a big brother. I was the, like I said, the youngest. So I had a middle brother and then my older sister and I'm extremely uh, uh, grateful for my siblings. Wow. I love them. That's great. And, um, and then of course my parents were wonderful. My, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, again, I was very, very lucky. So I want to go to now jumping into business because you, you made a distinction between I had to realize that your family life and your business life, there was a distinction. And so right. what I'd like you to do is explain how you've overcome a either a learning curve or a failure in business and where that distinction drew from, because you, you clearly made that a distinction between family and business. Please explain. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, it's, uh, you know, as one of my mentors always says, you know, uh, you know, we are recovering from, right? Because as I mentioned to you earlier, a lot of these things don't, it's not a, a switch that you turn on and off. It's, a, it's, it's more of like a regulator. You can regulate how and to what extent those feelings kind of uh, emanate into your into your existence and then you get better as time progresses and as you a person improves their ability to be perceptive of an onset of feeling so they say okay I see where I am getting into possible uh uh you know hot water so to speak let me turn let me back off let me make sure that I don't put myself in a situation that I become you know susceptible to uh you know, uh, struggle or failure or, or disappointment, all these things. So when I began to really understand and begin to understand the difference was, is really, uh, you know, when I was just, I started law school, right? I, I went to law school and, um, and I uh, got engaged. And then once I got engaged, I realized I got to get a job because I was getting married. So I wound up getting a job at a law firm. And you got to remember too, like I never, um, for the most part, with the exception of a two-year stint at a um, uh, an insurance company working as a staff accountant before I went to law school, most of my experience has always been family business. Family business, just grinding and grinding and grinding away. So uh, my outside experience, outside of like I said, that short corporate stint, was uh, when I worked to went, went to work for a law firm, and um, and I had a great mentor. And in, in, uh, well, I went to that law firm. But what I didn't understand 
was um, the, the difference with respect to, in my world, uh, you know, you just, you just gave, you just gave who you were, you, you were, you, and you, and there was a really a very naive sense of authenticity where other people, you figure, oh, geez, yeah, people are, people are good. People are, and I'm not trying to sound negative here, but well, you're not very, coming across negative. You're being yeah, boldly it's, it's, authentic. Right. So, I mean, those are the types of things that um, I had some really hard lessons I had to learn because it was like, wow, this is, you know, Dorothy, you're not one. in uh, Kansas anymore. Comes right to your brain right now. Give me that lesson. Uh, well, the first, I mean, I'll just go back then. I remember, you know, uh, expecting people to recognize my contributions and my authentic desire to want to be part of this organization. And I thought that there would have been reciprocity as far as a pre level of appreciation of my efforts to be, you know, authentically connected and really work for, to benefit the firm, you know, all in. Like right. I, I was so grateful to get a job in a law firm. I mean, that was really my job interview was the, really the first time I even walked into a law firm. Wow. Right. So, what so happened? because it sounds like that should be the way it works in the business world. Well, what happened is, is, um, you know, I just got, I just got schooled a little bit as far as I have to put my guard up and I have to recognize that people aren't, um, you know, they're not always, not always there to uh, worry about your self-interest. I mean, your interest, even though you are putting forth the effort to have like, uh, uh, you know, a collective benefit, you know, yeah. that not a lot of people think like that. And that's a big lesson that uh, I had to learn. And, um, and I, and I want to be honest, again, very authentic. Cause I got not to me, I, I, I tell it like it is, and I really couldn't care less what people think at this stage. So it, it took a while for me to even understand that further historically through my life and experience. I oftentimes, and I think a lot of people overcompensate, uh, and it may not necessarily be overcompensation due to insecurities. It may be just from cultural conditioning and just, uh, just a pure um, genuine generosity of recognizing that, hey, you know, if you like yourself, you like humanity, you want to see other people thrive, you, you give authentically of yourself right. to make that work. But um, there's, it, you have, to, you, I hate to say it, but you have to learn to put some, some um, filters on that. Maybe that's not the right word, but maybe I was uh, thinking filters. So maybe it is the right yeah. word. So yeah, let me ask so, you this. Why? Why do you think you have to put filters on? And did you are, are they still on today? Well, okay. So as far as why, I think is um, I think the reason why you have to put the filters on is because uh, we all have to recognize that the uh, you know, we all I think most of us uh, have a very difficult understanding of the vastness of the world meaning you know we live in a very linear you know we perceive things in a linear fashion right we have our preconceived notions on how things should be um you know whether that be through social conditioning through just education what have you so we have our preconceived notions as to the way things are and for a large extent in my opinion 
um, the way our world was prior to the information age, right. there was an element to which that theory had some validity because the system, you know, that was the system. So we followed the system. I'm sure you experienced it in your corporate career or what have you, right? There was a process. Um, but I think with respect to uh, the evolution over, you know, of the information age over the last, let's say, 10 years, um, the rules of the game haven't changed, but the, the time frames have changed tremendously. There's, there's, because of technology and the speed of information and the access to information, um, I don't think most of us as humans have caught up yet to recognize how fast information gets disseminated and how much it, imp it can impact our life instantly. And that, I think, for a lot of folks who aren't, um, you know, familiar with that, that could be a real jaunting experience and can side sideline a lot of us. I think that's particularly like, you know, the Gen Xers who, um, who are, who are, you know, who are going through say career transitions or recognizing that, you know, why would it wow. sideline them? I, help me understand that. Well, because I think the perception of, um, the perception of how things evolve and the speed to which things evolve, I, I don't think that they they recognize that they have to they have to gear up and retool and 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 learn things to be competent baseline competencies with respect to say technology or marketing or or, or just information. I mean, I, I talk to lawyers all the time who you know they still wish it was you know 1990. Okay. Why? Well, because in my opinion, I think that they. Number one, most of them are already overwhelmed. They're overworked. I also, I actually think that the traditional legal model, primarily based upon my experience, I can't speak for anything outside my experience, but the small to mid law, mid-sized law firm, where they're, you know, um, they're billing, they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, the traditional model that I grew up with, where, um, you know, there was a, a level of of um, of uh, of um, Kind of where lawyers weren't more or less commoditized. I think that that mod, the model, the traditional model to which most of us went to law school, thinking how we were going to evolve, is broke. I think I may be because wrong. Because of technology. Not only because of technology. Well, technology for a large extent. I think the fact that um, the the access to information, um, the um, you know white collar automation process. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I don't know what that um, means. Okay, so I mean, white collar automation, you can kind of look, you can look it up, but like Harvard Business just did a, they just released an article a couple months back, wherein uh, because of the speed of artificial intelligence, because of the sophistication of computer technology, a lot of the analytical and a lot analytical um, uh, work that is being done with uh, respect to a lot of the baseline um, legal work, say, for example, right. is being done by a computer. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Right, so, so, um, so, and then also I think that there's elements of, uh, because there's, uh, like I said, there's a level of commoditization with respect to the law where most lawyers, you know, are, um, you know, they go to school to be highly trained technicians. They don't know jack about marketing, 
social media, business development. I mean, most of them are left brain, you know, introverted oriented anyway. So the idea that they have to go out and generate clients is so, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, it's like you're screeching the, you know, your nails across the chalkboard for most of them. So let me ask you this, because I mean, you're in your bio, you have a lot of different loves and you, little Mikey, love music. So how did that, so you're right brain, left brain, clearly. What Mm -hmm. got you, number one, interested in law and what got you uninterested in just staying in that one tab called law on your brain called your computer? Okay, great question. So that then goes to, uh, I think I'm uh, very... um, I'm not unique in the sense of so many of us do things because it's what we perceive other people want us to do. And then also the problem is, is for example, let's use me, right? Uh, All I wanted to do, and for the most part, I still want to do is I love music. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, that was inbred. So when I was a kid, I was like, I want to play music. It's all I wanted to do. Love it. Right. But, you know, my parents were, you know, obviously uh, concerned. So (laughs) it was always a question of, you know, and there was no validation of that. They gave me, they let me have lessons and things like that. But like, when I mean to tell you, like all I cared about, and like, again, I'm not unique in this sense, it was, I just wanted to play music. That to me was, you know, uh, all it was. And I daydreamed about it. I lived it. It's all I cared about. But, you know, that desire was said, Hey, you could do that as a hobby, but you need to like most parents, you know, they don't want their kids to fail quote unquote. But the thing that they missed was, uh, and this is what I talk to my clients about all the time is you don't have time to waste. Okay. You don't have time to waste. And I don't care what, how old you are, whether I mean, I coach kids in you know, kids, young adults in their twenties, and I and I coach people in their forties and their fifties, and I'm like, if you are not clearly and purposely aligned with your highest and that you know, your what what makes you grounded, right? You're wasting your time, and uh, right. So then the question is: Is are you then willing to, you know, pay the price? To, unfortunately, you have to kind of go backwards, perceivingly backwards, but it's really not backwards. You have to, it's, you have to renew is it probably a better way of phrasing it. And not that many people are willing to do that. I mean, I was very, very, very lucky that, you know, um, my wife and I decided in 2012, when we hired a business coach, we were like, you know what, there's, we're just not in alignment with where we are. What can we do to change our, our trajectory? And, um, you know, that's what got us into network marketing. That's what got us into the idea of creating an income that was uh, leveraged and one that we could have create some flexibility in our geographic locations and even with our time spent. So, um, you know, um, so that's kind of where we are with that. Do you still practice law? Yeah, I do. I, I, very limited, very, very, very limited um, because uh, I'm really good at the legal work I do. I mean, I grew up in the construction world. I mean, my, I grew up, you know, my dad was a builder and a developer. So, 
you know, I was on sites from the time I was a kid and, you know, I had a real estate development company with him and my brother and I've gone through, I've done a lot of interesting things. And then um, in 2008, when everything crashed, I had to rebuild. And the way I rebuilt was going back to doing legal work. And I was very fortunate enough to uh, get hired uh, with a firm where I was representing municipalities on as their land use attorney. Mm. So, yeah, so that was really cool. It was a great experience. And I loved a lot of aspects to it. Um, but what drove me out of that was primarily is I, I realized I wasn't a politician and I really kind of really wasn't willing to pay, play the, um, the political game that is necessary to really excel in that world. Um, and then also um, I realized that um, my home life wasn't aligned, you know, and I, and I think probably a lot of us can relate to this and I'm sure there's tons of people, you know, the big houses, the cars, oh, that means crap. If you're unhappy or every time you're with your spouse, you're arguing or you don't spend time with your kids. And so to me, I was like, you know what? I would come home at night, it'd be 1030. My wife was working as a pharmaceutical rep for a huge company. Um, she was miserable. I was like, this sucks. We, we got to change. So we took bold action. And I love that you did it together because I think one of the fears that people have of change is the people around them, you know, or the excuse, right? Well, if I change, what about the people around me? And it's like, become that, right? I mean, you know, become that yeah. contagious change that people are really, really looking for. So do you believe that people watched you and your wife go through transformation and they were so like inspired by you? Yes or no? I think somewhere. I mean, yeah. you know, it's and somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. And, 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 um, I know for me, uh, my wife and I, uh, worked that business together for about five years until, it got to the point where I knew for me, I wasn't operating at the highest and best use of my, myself. And we were starting to, re, you know, we were, we, we were relying too much on that single source of income where all of a sudden we knew it was time for another stream, yeah. some other streams of income, but also to develop our level of consciousness and also our emotional maturity as to what it means to be a business owner. That's a huge, huge thing that unless and until you're doing it, uh, you won't get what that means. Yeah. So, um, that, so that, that is such a powerful statement that you just made. One of my favorite expressions that you don't know until you know. Right. Right. Mike, let me ask you this. We all have at least one big, hairy, audacious goal right here, right now. What's yours? One What's of mine? One of them is to uh, leverage what I'm doing now on a much larger scale. Um, and what mean? does that mean? What does that mean is basically um, I want to be able to, uh, to talk to large groups of people about why? why, because I think that a lot of my life lessons and, you know, the, uh, that I've experienced and I've taken so many risks and put myself out there so many different times that I, um, I've developed a, a, um, a really unique level of experience that I don't think many people have. Now, I'm sure there are, but what also, but what, but what's interesting with me 
in my opinion is, is that uh, I feel that I have an innate sense to be able to express it in a way where people can relate to it. I would agree with uh, that. I'm interviewing you today and you're extremely relatable and you articulate, you, you make your point very, very well. So I, I would agree you. with that a thousand percent. So thank you. my audience, and we appreciate everyone that's listening on this podcast today, uh, talk to them, tell them if there's a piece of advice that in your big, hairy, audacious goal, you have an audience that we're not even sure how many people will listen from now until then. Right. Say, talk to them. Here's your platform. Well, it really boils down to things that I've already touched on. And that is, uh, you have to work to come in alignment with what it is that you feel is complete, you know, puts you in a situation that is uniquely you uh, and, 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 and allow yourself to lean into it, right? And give yourself that opportunity to, uh, to lean into it. Now, with that said, um, you have to understand that whatever that particular thing is, you're gonna need to definitely hone in your skills so that it could become a, uh, a viable, profitable opportunity for you. And, um, and to do that, quite frankly, the best and single way to do that, in my opinion, is to invest with hiring a coach and or a mentor who has expertise in the area to which you're interested in pursuing. That investment in yourself, in my opinion, is, is, is probably the best thing you can possibly do. And I will say this too. Um, when you're listening to podcasts, when you're listening or participating in say like group coaching scenarios, they're all good. There's no doubt about it, but they are passive. Fair comment. You require, in my opinion, um, that one-on-one level of coaching that is incorporates the accountability and someone who is going to provide you with a platform to which you do the work and there is a mutual exchange with respect to evaluating your work and your progress towards a defined goal. To me, that is uh, probably the greatest thing you could do to to advance your um, progress. And, um, and then I would also say, as far as timelines, recognizing that, you know, the timeline that, uh, that you initially set out as far as to achieve your goals is more than likely based upon lack of enough knowledge to make uh, intelligent and uh, knowledgeable, you know, decisions, not intelligent, that's wrong word, make informed decisions, that's a better term. So, so then you have to understand that as you, you know, your initial goal is fine. It gets you off the launching pad and then you, and you create a strategic and tactical plan to move ahead, but then revisit based upon the knowledge that you've acquired and then the changes of the circumstances uh, so that you can adjust. Because I find a lot of people, particularly in small business, they get committed to an idea and then they don't realize that, um, they don't do what's required in order to really test the idea. 
they, they still, a lot of times still people think like, okay, build it and they will come. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. In my opinion, you're better off really being objective and analytically evaluating what your value offering is and then seeing what type, how the market reacts and adjusting and then using or leveraging the experience of someone else who could help you evaluate that information as well and then proceed forward and then re, re, constantly reestablish your timelines so you don't necessarily get yourself frustrated you don't wind up you know getting angry with respect to things aren't quote unquote happening fast enough right right they have their own course and then right. you know and then there's a lot of other things to talk about but those are things to me are just extremely important sounds great so again you want passive income, right? But you don't want a passive action plan to get there. So how do people reach you? So I think that you as a coach, uh, you know, people are going to take action with you. All right. And if someone's listening to this podcast right now and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the guy for me. How do they find you? Very simple. Send me an email at mike at mikecaluzzi.com. M-I-K-E at M-I-K-E-C-O-L-U-Z-Z-I. Can't get much easier than that. Just basically say, tell, that, tell me that you heard you know, the podcast here on Michelle Foster's podcast and want to talk to me. And then I'll send you a link, we'll schedule a time and we get on the horn and we talk. And there's no, you know, there's, there's I'm very authentic. I think you can probably see at that point. And, um, and I think the real key is, is that people just have to recognize that if they decide not to go, move forward with the coaching, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with their self-talk that's holding them back to not actually make the commitment. And I will put your website, Mike, at MikeCaluzzi.com on my show notes. And um, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Other than just, I um, appreciate you giving me the opportunity um, and, and, uh, and recognize that, uh, you could absolutely do what you, you know, really want to do. There is a, that there is a process and hiring, you know, or mentor or really delving into understanding how that process works can probably be the best uh, way for you to actually achieve what you're looking to do. That's awesome. Get- and I agree with you. It changed my life. So thank you, my audience, for, for tuning into Mornings with Michelle today. We inspire dreams here. And, and Mike, you are a dream sickle. So thank you so thank you. much for your time. Thank and you. um, I, I hope that people that are really seeking to really love their lives and, and really live an extraordinary life find you. And I would love to bring you back and talk about some of your success stories because I think the world needs more of a Mike Calusi in the world. So thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And make it Yeah, I would love it. You tell me, I'd be happy to do it. So I appreciate the invitation and it was a pleasure and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for today. I wanna thank you for your time. It's so precious. Our time and our time freedom is everything. So I want to thank you for joining us today at Mornings with Michelle. Uh, This is Michelle Foster, and I encourage you to come visit us on Instagram at Collagen Works, W-E-R-K-S, Collagen Works, because we are doing some fun things there with Instagram parties, with fun giveaways. We have, it's all about beauty and all about fun tips. So again, 
go ahead and go to your Instagram and become part of our community at College and Works because we have really fun Instagram parties. Looking forward to seeing you there and always feel free to comment on the podcast or if there's something that you would like us to talk about, please let me know your thoughts. That would be amazing. Have a super fantastic day, my friend. This is Michelle Foster from Mornings with Michelle signing off.